For a lot of people, becoming the vice president of an international media production company would be a dream job. Alex Litvak is not a lot of people. This USC-educated Russian expat gave up his senior executive post to pursue his passion for writing and filmmaking and become a screenwriter. And boy, has it paid off. Alex sold his spec script, Medieval, written with frequent collaborator Mike Finch, to New Regency for $800,000 against $1.6 million. He wrote the hit Predator sequel, Predators, which grossed nearly $130 million worldwide, and a big-budget Three Musketeers remake starring Mila Jovovich and Orlando Bloom. Alex is currently working on a Masters of the Universe remake and is in pre-production on his script Five Against a Bullet with Bruce Willis set to star for Columbia. Clearly, Alex knew what he was doing when he traded his power lunches for pitch meetings and rewrites. We talked to Alex about the special challenges of resurrecting an iconic franchise, bringing a new take to classic material, writing solo versus writing with a partner, and much more on the Scripts and Scribes podcast right now. Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga, and today we're talking with screenwriter Alex Litvak. Uh, thanks for taking the time to speak with us today, Alex. My pleasure. Um, now, we're both USC guys. We both uh, were student, production students at the film school there. Would you recommend film school, uh, whether SC or otherwise, to sort of aspiring writers and filmmakers? Absolutely. I don't believe that film school is a must. Um, in other words, you can get a job in the film business and pursue something creative in the film business without going for film school. It is not a necessity. However, it is a major plus. Um, particularly in terms of USC, I would say that um, there are great things about other schools, particularly NYU, because NYU is a four-year program um, undergrad, whereas USC is two. But what USC gives you, and I don't think there's any other film school that does that, is being there on the front lines, in the trenches, where movies are actually being developed, packaged, made, um, being geographically positioned so close to the Hollywood community. And, and, and really the access of USC, the connections of USC, the network of USC when it comes to film is, is, is in my opinion, impossible to beat. Right. Um, so there, um, I, I would highly recommend the film school. I would highly recommend if, you know, there, there's a way to do a film school by simply reading scripts and and and, and watching movies. And <laughs> <laughs> all you need is, is is access to internet and Netflix. Um, but but there is also there are great teachers, there are great students, um, and um, there 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 are great relationships that that film school gives you. And in that sense, especially where I was coming from at the time, um, I was originally born and raised in Russia and. Just so happened that my first year in the United States was also my first year at USC. I didn't come here to go to school. My family immigrated already done with high school, and then um, and then I came out here and ended up going to USC very shortly thereafter. So I needed um, that transition period. Um, so uh, for me, it was a, it was a really really important to do that. Right now, um, after SC. You started your, mm-hmm. you started your career. You worked at ICM, and you spent uh, what I believe was nearly a decade in development at Fox, and ultimately as a VP at Intermedia. At Intermedia, uh, yeah. Um, I graduated from film school, and I faced the dilemma that sort of every college grad faces, which is what now. Right. I don't right. have this education, <laughs> uh, and as you can imagine, it was not 
a particularly day for for um, my family, for my parents, when I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to USC and become a writer-director. Right. So, you know, you graduate, and, and it's either sort of get a job in the video store and go the Tarantino route, right, you're good at making screenplay, or get a real job and then kind of get my parents off my back and sort of make them feel safe about my future while um, um, sort of learning more about the business. And I was fortunate that um, one of my internships, which I highly recommend, and another kind of advantage of film school is, is access to those internships. I highly recommend that your listeners do. Right. Because it's one thing to learn about movies. It's the other thing to actually observe the process firsthand and, and, and be in an office environment. You know, the movies are not only an art form, but, but it's a business. There is a market, a market you're trying to service in terms of, in terms of sale, in terms of acquisitions, in terms of distribution, marketing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And those are the things that you can observe um, when you intern for an agency or production company, a studio, whatever that is. So anyway, um, so I was fortunate in that one of my internships led to a job very quickly at the graduation. It was for director by the name of Randy Carlin, who at the time was coming off of Die Hard 2 and Cliffhanger. So he was a really big action director in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, he was developing a script called Long Kiss Goodnight by Shane Black. And I found Shane and William Goldman as two of kind of the biggest inspirations when, when it comes to my writing style or just the way I choose to tell stories. Like, just tremendous storytellers. Right, right. Um, and, um, uh, you know, for one reason or another, you just really thought, wow, what, what, what a wonderful um, opportunity. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I love action movies. Um, I desperately wanted to meet Shane Black, and then and, and I sort of figured, well, here's this great job. I'm, um, and it was very, very little money, but just got an opportunity to, to get my career started. And I thought, um, I'll really, right on weekends, um, it don't it, it, mean to then becoming a screenwriter, but that really I'm going to do this, you know, for a while, like three, four months. And little did I know that once you go into development, it really, it's a lifestyle choice. Because right. the time that, that you have to be around and, and not only it's a job that is highly demanding in terms of time and physical energy, but then you go home and you have a script to read at three or ten, and 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 whatever free time you have, it's like the last thing you want to do is, is, is be writing. So, and of course, you know that job led to another job, and so I got the ICM gig, which is how I got the Fox, which is how I got the Intermedia, and before you know it, ten years, and right. you know, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Um, my friends um, still, uh, you know, remember how for years I've talked about writing, and um, it was going to be like this year I'm going to write the script. Oh, okay, so it didn't happen this year, but it's going to be next year. And mm-hmm. and there is a fear. There is a fear that paralyzes you um, um, because, on one hand, you 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 see movies being sold, um, but you also know how difficult it is to write one and to sell one. So there is, I had all the tools, all the kind of intellectual acumen and the training that I needed between the USC and the 10 years in development mm-hmm. to become a professional writer, but at the same time there was this deep insecurity and, 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 and lack of confidence because, you know, you can be writing for months and months and months, and then somebody reads 40 pages and goes, it's garbage, throws it out. Right. 
So, <laughs> um, but after 10 years, I sort of finally got to a point where I was kind of fundamentally, you know, even though I had good fortune to work on some, some, some great movies and, uh, to forge a lot of relationships and, you know, it was a sort of, I counted those 10 years as was my graduate school and PhD and, 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 you know, film, filmmaking, but fundamentally it wasn't for me. Right. I was never truly fulfilled by that career. And after 10 years, just kind of realized that it's not now when. Right. And, uh, wrote uh, my first script after, um, you know, 10 years talking about it, but ironically it ended up being a television script. Even though I never worked in TV, but it seemed less terrifying, less intimidating to write 60 pages of paper rather than 120. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And lo and behold, that um, got me my agent, um, sold to Fox, and uh, started my writing career. As a former executive, maybe for some of the, the novice writers, um, Maybe you can talk a little bit about sort of a pitch and an OWA, which, if they're not familiar with, is an open writing assignment, um, and that whole process. Yeah, of course. Uh, well, movies uh, sort of get bought and sold in made a million ways. Mm-hmm. Um, for a young writer, a spec is the best way to start. Sure. Like, OWAs is essentially somebody hiring you to build something that they already control. So somebody has something, a project. Now, that project can be based on anything, a, a, another script, an idea, right. a comic book, a novel, a video game, a remake, an article, a billion sort of ways you can, you, you can build this one. But they have a blueprint of a house that they're looking at potential contractors, i.e. writers, to come in and either build from the ground up mm-hmm. um, or to, to rebuild or whatever it is that they're trying to do. Now, they are going to be looking at somebody who has prior body of writing work, and the, the, the higher the profile of the project, the more money they're looking to spend the, 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 you know, the tougher the, the competition. Sure. But always, they're going to be looking at somebody who has had some experience as a writer. Now for, for, I assume for most of your listeners, it's going to be somebody who is just starting out. Mm-hmm. They don't need to worry about that. Um, also, the fundamental... There's a fundamental plus in the fundamental minus to open writing assignments. The fundamental plus is you're being paid to write. Mm-hmm. So if you get this job to you know do an adaptation of something, then you you want to contract for those people for a number of steps, and and so your your financial future is kind of guaranteed. There's a fundamental minus, which is if you don't get that job, all the work that you've done, well, I mean. Yeah, I'm not saying it's wasted. If you come up with another idea for a good action scene, you could, right. you know, use it somewhere else down the line. Mm-hmm. But it's not like, say, you know, like I wrote the the last Predator movie, mm-hmm. and that was kind of an open writing assignment situation. It's not like I turn around and go, "Oh, we'll just write my own Predator movie." Fuck you! It, it, right. I don't own the Predator franchise, right, right. so um, whatever it is, um, you have to be prepared to audition for a job. It's great if you get it. If you don't, then potentially you're kind of spending a lot of time chasing after something you didn't get. Right. But again, uh, for, for somebody who's starting out, specs are always, always, always a great game um, uh, and a great way to, to get their career started. Because even though these days I feel like the market is fundamentally driven by 
intellectual properties, branded titles, which is why you see a lot of sequels, which is why you see a lot of things that are based on the, you know, board games, Battleship, mm-hmm. you know, Marvel, Avengers, Men in Black, sequel, you know, all of the, yeah, for the most part, you, you know, um, you know, young writers don't have access to branded properties, but what they do have is access to their own ideas. And I still believe that a good idea is a good idea is a good idea. Right. You write something, particularly something that is sort of fits comfortably within a certain genre box. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine has this great expression. It's not about reinventing the, the reinventing the wheel. It's putting a fresh tire in it. You write something which is a good high concept comedy, high concept thriller, um, something that is both comfortably familiar and yet refreshingly new. Right. And, and I, if it's good, I guarantee you something good will happen. I'm not saying it's going to sell for $10 million, It could sell for $10 or not sell at all but lead to a bunch of meetings and a job. But people are always hungry for new voices. People are always hungry for, 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 for new writers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what happens with a writer is, you, you know, the more you get employed, the more expensive you get. But that's why it, 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 it's a weird machine because even though it's sort of built on rejection, and then, you know, for every yes, you, you get 90 no's, mm-hmm. but at the same time, people need to say yes. Right. So there's always a need for it, yeah. There's always a need for a writer. Mm-hmm. And I always say that, you know, the reason why being a writer is probably, yeah, it's the most wonderful job in a, uh, in a very terrible business. <laughs> As a director, you need budget and a camera and a crew. Mm-hmm. As an actor, you need to be cast in the movie. Essentially, you're finding opportunities to do what you, what you to do what you love. As a writer, all you have to do is go home and try on your computer. Right. You could write a two million dollar movie or two hundred million dollar movie, and nobody's going to say, "Well, you have no experience." If you write it, it's good. It's yours. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to the, the the difference between the two, you know, pitch is an original idea. Right. Every project begins with an idea. Right. So, a difference between a spec and a pitch is you have an idea. If you have not written anything, you should just go ahead and write that. Mm-hmm. And it will be a spec, i.e., a speculative piece of material, a script that, that nobody controls, which is, as I said, a great way to break it. But assuming you, 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 you've sold that, and now you, you know, you, 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 you in demand, and now you think, well, you know, what's next? Like, um, I recently became a mentor for WGA, so. My, my mentee, that people sort of sold something, they started their careers, but they, it's kind of the question of what's next. Well, you can go out and try to sell a pitch based on the fact that you've sold something, you have a sample of your work, so, you know, a, a pitch is essentially an original idea that you go pitching to producers, to studios, trying to get people interested. Mm-hmm. Or you can go an addition for something that they're trying to hire, hire, hire writers for, which is an open, the OWA, open writing time. Right. Fundamentally, uh, the difference between the pitch and the WA in terms of the presentation is not that different. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the, 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 there's a big difference in that. One is, a, as I mentioned before, one is something you don't control. Um, the other one is something that is yours. But fundamentally, you go into a room where the people who kind of look at you, poke a face, and you go, all right, what do you have? And you tell them a story, you're trying to get them engaged. They're trying to make them see you and go, wow, that's cool. Yeah. That's going to be really smart, really exciting, and really fun. And finally, what I'm saying is, it, 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 it's always storytelling. 
it always boils down to how do you tell a story and make it the most interesting story it can be. Right. And I think that's sort of the thing that they don't teach you in, in film school. Um, at least I didn't take a class in, maybe in the uh, writing program they do, but in production I didn't. Uh, pitching, which is, is definitely, I think, a skill. It's definitely, you know, you have to enthuse other people in, in your idea. Um, it's not. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, going back to uh, Predators, which uh, you had, mm-hmm. w- which was an o- OWA, but it's also something you'd been developing for a long time. Maybe you could touch a little bit on sort of the special challenges, because Predator is not just an OWA. It's, it's, it's an iconic series. It's something that has a long history. Mm-hmm. It's a lot, huge fan base. Uh, so what special challenges? What did you look at when you had to sort of re- revive this series? And make it stand out. Well, Predator was sort of a little bit of a unique project because I have such such a long history with it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, my first experience goes back to when I was at Fox, mm-hmm. and I desperately wanted to do um, another Predator movie. Um, and the various writers that I, you know, was talking to, sort of, were really eager to do it. There was a, there was an original script by Robert Rodriguez called Predators which Fox had at the time it was prior to me coming uh, to work for the studio. But, you know, by then it was sort of on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time there was not a lot of appetite to do another Predator movie because we were working on um, an alien movie called Alien Insurrection. It came out, didn't do very well. And but the feeling was that, yeah, for whatever reason, uh, the two franchises sort of occupied the same, the same space, and the thought was, well, Alien movie didn't do so well, so a Predator movie is not going to do that well either. Right. Um, plus, how do you do a Predator movie without Arnold? Because um, they did Predator 2 right. without Arnold, didn't do so well. So for one reason or another, it's a, that idea never, never took hold. Now, cut to 2005, which is when I switched from being executive to being a screenwriter, and just as I was kind of taking my first agency meetings and it was up on my TV script, I sort of had a mental, I don't know, flash to, to Predator and it was kind of going, how cool would it be if there was a Predator who hunted other Predator? It's a, sort of the T-1000 approach. You know, you, you introduce the ultimate bad guy and you say, well, there's something out there that's worse. And the whole idea that we've only seen a splinter of the Predator universe, that there are other tribes, other clans. Right. And, and, and there's something higher in there, the kind of hunting food chain, if you will. So if there is a tribe that is more technologically evolved than, than the original Predator, which basically meant, you know, other weapons and tactics and, you know, the, the idea that they, they, came, they have dogs and falcons came out of it and so on and so forth. So um, that was kind of the, the, the formation of that I uh, of, of, of my original take, and it really would be no different from from fanboy who says, "I wouldn't be awesome if you know a James Bond movie would look like this, or wouldn't be awesome if a Predator movie looked like this." But that's what, that's what it was at the time because I didn't have the I didn't have the credit to back anything up. I just thought, well, this was, this was a very, very cool idea. Mm-hmm. Then back in, so that's back in 2005. Um, and I think in 2008, um, I already started working as a, as a, as a screenwriter and 
wrote and sold my first feature um, called Five Against the Bullet. So I was working, um, didn't quite have the, you know, the, 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 the credits that I have now. Um, I heard that Fox was looking to potentially revive Predator. And so um, I had a meeting with Davis Entertainment, that are the, you know, the producers of uh, uh, Predator franchise, and sort of pitched them what, kind of the bones of what would become uh, Predator idea. And at the time, the take was a little bit different. Um, it was actually set in the future. Um, you know, the whole thing was, that, you know, you see this, uh, this alien planet, the ship lands, and first you think it's a Predator ship, and then it turns out it's human. Right. It's a human hunting party. And um, they've come to this planet for a very kind of unique set of, unique set of circumstances. Uh, the sun in the solar system was about to go nova, effectively wiping out all life on this planet. So for the next 24 hours, they have a chance to hunt life that will be about to become completely extinct. Mm-hmm. It's like we're going to Jurassic Park to hunt the dinosaur right, right before the, the dinosaurs get wiped out. That kind of idea. Mm-hmm. So you got this, you know, uber cool hunting party, and leaving them is this kind of Royce-like character, you know, the sort of Hemingway great hunter, the guy who sort of traveled across the stars and hunted everything, you know, but out there, and now he sort of feels like he's at the end of his journey as well, and like he sort of feels that he has more in common with the, the, the prey that's about to be extinct than he has with these you know, rich assholes that he's bleeding on this hunt. Mm-hmm. So, unbeknownst to them, they're not the only ones out there. There's, there's another hunting party, which is the Predator hunting party, which has come to the planet for the same reason. So the first act of the movie sort of kind of, even though it's the future, it was very much billed as there are two hunting parties that both from the collision course, um, tension, suspense, boom, humans are under Predators, big fight. And right in the middle of it, arrives the game changer, which is a third ship drops down. And it's a super predator ship, which is like we introduced the idea that there are other predators out there, and of course they've come to kick ass. Mm-hmm. Um, so now it goes bad for everybody. Both humans and predators effectively get the floor mop with them, and it's down to our human hero and the predator war chief. But now they have to work together and team up. So a human, a soul surviving human, and a soul surviving predator now have to fight the super predators, and. You know, since both the predator ship and the human ship have been destroyed, they got to take over the super predator ship to fly away home. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of those nuts and bolts of the idea. Um, the reaction of the executives was, like, was kind of mm, interesting, but don't love the future aspect of it, mm-hmm. um, and don't love the space aspect of it. Predator has always been a terrestrial franchise. Can we do this in, in you know, in on Earth in the present day? Right. So I went back and pitched the idea with the tweets that it was present day in some remote part of India, something like that. Right. And again, interesting, let us think about it, nothing really elegant about it. Now, advance forward about, I think it was eight, nine months, and um, myself and another writer, uh, Mike Finch, we wrote and sold a script called Medieval, which was kind of like, 300 Neat Usual Suspect, very crazy, fun project, sold them to New Regency in a big bidding war. And I think about three weeks after, we were at Fox um, talking about what we're doing next. There's a guy there by the name of Drew Cravella, mm-hmm. um, without whom Predators does not get made. And 
He said, what do you, like, what do you guys looking to do? Well, what do you have? Well, um, we're looking to revive predators. And this one said, predators, I, I have this, you know, I have this whole idea, I have this whole take. And, you know, lo and behold, we started talking to Robert Rodriguez, who very much liked everything we had to say. You know, they, 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 they liked the alien homeworld, they didn't love the future, and, 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 and this whole sort of idea of, it's not just one guy, um, it's, it's, it's a bunch of guys who have been brought there, and the idea of, like, you know, the, the sort of the dirty dozen idea to hold, and that's how it led to Predators. So, um, but overall, I think the approach always was, how do you take something that fans love and mm-hmm. just add another dimension to it? Of course, the master of it is, you know, Jim Cameron. <laughs> I wish I could say that. We came even remotely close. We didn't. But... Yeah, I mean that that that, you know, that that was that was really sort of the hope of of trying to go to, go back to their you know to to their original, go back to kind of one of the ultimate action movies of the eighties, mm-hmm. but add a new twist to it and add something to it that you haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. Which is fundamentally always my approach to be at you know Predators or Three Musketeers or you know just finished. In another draft of He Man for Sony recently, it's trying to both be incredibly true to the spirit of the original mm-hmm. and at the same time polish up the dust, chisel off the rust, and, and, and give it something that you go, okay, that's cool again. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's, it's an odd mix of respect and reverence and complete irreverence, if you will. Right, right. And did you approach the Three Musketeers in the same way? Because that's obviously... Um... Yeah, I know. Um, it was very, very much the same way. There was a script before me by Andrew Davies, which was... It was very traditional. It was... When I read it, well, a number of good things about it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but fundamentally, he had a very sort of familiar attitude towards the plotting and the characters, and I felt like... It's a very solid script, but I've seen this before. I've read this before, and Three right. Musketeers was one of my favorite books growing up. And how do you make it something different? And that's where sort of uh, Paul had a very unique vision for it. And once we started talking, he started talking about airships, and I started talking about you know period James Bond and um, what Wild Wild West could have been or should have been, and and, and you know. Before long, it was going to be, you know, Three Musketeers Mission Moscow, and then Moscow became Venice, and it was kind of, you know, out of those ideas, Musketeers, you know, was born. And, right. you know, again, uh, some people loved that movie, a lot of people hated it, but um, I was incredibly happy with it. And um, for my money, it was something that was both incredibly sort of true to the spirit of the books that I grew up loving and Right, right. Uh, the gospel of my childhood heroes. But at the same time, trying to make sure that the 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 kids today, or people who've seen Three Musketeers a zillion times, and you know, go, so what's different about this? Right. We could kind of get that fresh sort of sort of energy from it. Yeah. Now you've written both with a partner, uh, Michael Finch, mm-hmm. on a bunch of stuff, as well as solo. Uh, which do you prefer? And maybe you can talk a little bit about. How the processes differ for you as a writer? Um, I, I don't really have a preference. Okay. To, to be honest, it's it just 
there are advantages to both and disadvantages to both. Sure. Um, I, I fundamentally believe that for me as a writer, I have to be working either with um, a strong producer mm-hmm. and or a strong director or a writing partner because that's solving creative equations all day. Mm-hmm. And there's invariably a moment where you get stuck or you're completely blocked and you need to reach out to somebody and say, listen, I'm a crossroads here. I don't know if I should turn left or right here. And as you articulate the problem, you instinctively know which, which route is better. And then also having the person you're talking to as a litmus test also helps tremendously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Mike is incredibly helpful in, in that respect. But, you know, like Three Musketeers, which I've done solo, um, okay. you know, there, there was Paul's producing partner, Jeremy Paul, who was seeing the pages every single day and course correcting. And again, having somebody that writing is a very solitary craft and having somebody to interact with, be it a producer or a writing partner, is tremendously helpful. Um, you know, as a writing partner, sometimes two heads are better than one, and there are projects where I've have had a writing partner sometimes. Writing by itself is faster, because um, you don't have to argue as much. Right. Um, but, 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 yeah, it really, it really depends. I mean, you know, both Mike and I have solo careers, and we have a joint career, and, and it, it sort of naturally works out that when certain things will come together and we go, um, okay, that, that's, that, that's you and I are working on it, and some things that come together to us, so we, we sort of take a break from one another, and um, it's pretty awesome. Um, I, I think that's what, that's what makes a, a really kind of fun partnership is, you know, it's like a professional marriage, but we'll both take vacations <laughs> for one another. Right. <laughs> No, and I think it's great that you found a uh, a true partner, you know, somebody you can work yeah. with on and collaborate on a creative level. Um, no, I've, been, I've been incredibly fortunate in, in, in that respect, and it, it's interesting yeah. that we work together on some fairly high-pressure, high-profile stuff, and you get it, we get that recommend. We argue all the time, but, but the arguments are, they're always fun arguments, and... It, 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 it is very, very rarely things things get tense. I don't know why. I think we fundamentally really like one another, really respect one another. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we both have, you know, when it comes to what is, what is ultimately hugely important is whoever you work with has the same vision. Yeah. Well, the problems arise when... You, you know, you go, okay, I really, what I see with this is I really want to make a great pasta dish. That's what I really want. And the other person says, that's awesome, because I really love steak. Right. It's going to be the greatest steak ever. And that's when you go, no, 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 it's not steak, it's, it, it's pasta. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's one of the problems. But again, when you have fundamentally two very different visions, sure. when you have the same vision, you can, you can, you, you can sort of talk back and forth about what the scene is about, what the arc of the character is about. Also, you know, like we have the same vision when your instincts are aligned. So um, that, that's, always, that's always a fun you know, relationship. Um, and Medieval is a you know, great example. Of it. Um, it was um, originally in a very, very, very different form was an idea of Mike's, which mm-hmm. was um, not really as, uh, not nearly as outlandish as it sort of began. There was, there was something which was an entirely different pitch, which, had an element in the second act of the movie, which I always thought was kind of interesting, the idea that you, you, you know, you're doing the warriors in, in, in the Dark Ages. Um, and for about a year, I would sort of ask, like, what's going on with it? And, you know, 
pitched out a couple of places nobody was interested. And then I said, you know, I said, there's something in your idea that I just really love and can't let go of. And I feel like you got to throw away everything else and, and, and make it much more outlandish and 300 ass and twisted, which is why we started talking about, you know, what if it was a heist? What if it was you know, samurais and ninjas and Vikings? And kind of, it really, uh, I've always wanted to, um, and do a samurai movie, and I always wanted to do a kung fu movie, and then I sort of I started looking at it and going, it all lends itself naturally to both. And that's why you know, kind of three hundred was such a such a great fun um, and sort of eye opening experience for me because I worked on a bunch of these kind of history movies, history channel movies, but sort of channel movies, mm-hmm. um, and they invariably sort of tried to be in the Braveheart gladiator mold, and this was the first one that said true history. We're gonna do. We're gonna do a fairy tale where you know Xerxes was a giant and he commanded rhinoceroses and and whatever cool monsters of the war and and all of a sudden it was history unlike anything I've seen before mm-hmm. and that sort of led to 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 medieval and you know apropos the partnership I think the fact that we started with something where it was taking an idea breaking it down completely putting it together from the ground up. Um, and really just had a, such a tremendous fun experience on it that, you know, we sort of kept going. Right, right. And it shows, um, you know, mm. when you, when you enjoy what you're writing, when you have a passion for the material as opposed to something that you're being, uh, I don't want to say forced to write, but, you know, something you can tell when something is forced as opposed to something. Uh, that, yeah, I think that's the essential feeling. That's why I read, reference Shane Black and William Goldman as, with the two kind of great storytellers. They're very different writers, but mm-hmm. they always have fun telling a story. You know, the analogy I use is like a favorite uncle coming over for dinner and saying, listen up, I'm going to tell you a story. <laughs> it's going to be cool and exciting and scary and you're kind of drawn into it. And sometimes you look back at the story and go, that's a, that was a lot of hogwash and <laughs> not particularly interesting. Not particularly scary, not particularly anything, but, but, but it was told with such gusto. And I sort of feel like it's an executive who, who, who spent 10 years reading a lot of things and I was just like going, it is so, it's boring. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I would say, for me as a writer, I am yet to write you know, something I can be truly amazingly proud of and say this is something I you know want to hold up at the end of my career and say this is this is the one. I haven't done that, but yet this is all, you know means to an end and I will get better as a writer with everything that I do. But at the very least I would say I, I hope I haven't written anything that that is entirely boring. Right. Um but I always want the reader to have as much fun reading something as I have fun writing it. Well no, I mean you had a a, a terrific career thus far um, you know, done some 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 great films. I like Predators. I thought it was it was it was fun. But even if you don't, you're not going to be bored. And I think uh, you know, right. if people don't like the the genre or whatever, uh, it, there is that sort of energy in the life. There's always stuff going on, and um, it's kinetic. I guess would be a good way to describe it, um, which I think you do a great job of. Um, I, I want to switch gears just really quickly, and I, I know that you uh, have mentioned that you want to write a romantic comedy. That, you know, that, that you want to delve into other yeah. genres, specifically romantic comedy. How would that sort of kinetic, energetic, kind of in-your-face style translate? Or would you just go a completely different different direction with it? Uh, no, I mean, the approach is still, uh, you know, as I said, it doesn't matter what story it is. Um, um, 
Twitter. Like you want to engage the reader. Uh, so I think that doesn't change, obviously. Maybe some of the kind of more stylized nature of the writing would go, would go away. I'm actually working on a romantic comedy script right now. Uh, so I don't know, we'll see what happens. But, um, you know, it's a challenge. As I said, I, I, you know, as a writer, I just always want to keep challenging myself. Right. Action is continue, continues to be fun, and, and it's always awesome. But, you know, I... I want to write a kids' movie. I want to write a drama. I just want to tell great stories. Great writing is great writing, and, and good yeah. writers can write many different genres. It's 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 more the industry. It's more the the system that kind of classifies you as one or the other. Oh, so that, you know, as you said, they're great writers, and while I I, I do not put myself anywhere near that category, but it's more of like the aspire to be category. When you when you look at Aaron Sorkin or sure. Simon Kinberg or Ted Griffin, these guys kind of, sort of, can do almost anything. You know, I, I'd like to be able to say, you know, if you ask me the five years from now question, if, I'd love to be in, 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 at least closer to that category than I am today, which is not just to be an award-winning writer and a body of work that you're proud of, but to say, mm-hmm. listen, I, I'm very comfortable writing action, yes, but I, I can also do a drama. I can also do a romantic comedy. And just finally get that I'm a great storyteller. Yeah. Right. And I think you're off to, uh, I didn't even want to say a terrific start. You've been doing it for quite some time. But, uh, um, and now, lastly, at the end of the show, we like to do a, a section called uh, Rapid Fire. Just a couple quick questions, uh, sort of an either or or fill in the blank kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And they're tailored specifically for you. Uh, better Predator, okay. Tigers or Bears? Tigers. Um, better Bruce Willis movie, Red or The Fifth Element? I didn't put Die Hard because that's too easy. <laughs> yeah, no, Die Hard will win hands down. Uh, Red. Okay. Uh, better villain, Merman or Triclops? Uh, Triclops. Okay. Uh, favorite candy bar? Uh, not really. Uh, not really a candy guy, but I'm just going to say you must get yours. <laughs> yeah, I, I was trying to set you up there for that alley hoop. Excellent. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. I caught it. Uh, and lastly, uh, better vodka, Kaufman or Stolichnaya? Uh, neither. But if I'm forced to drink one, uh, I'll, I'll take the first time. Okay, excellent. Um, well, that's all the time we have for now. Uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today, Alex. And so, yeah, please check out our website, scriptsandscribes.com. If you have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet, because we actually do tweet a little bit, uh, at scriptsscribes. There's no and in the middle there, just at scriptsscribes. Uh, and thanks for listening. Thank you.